Hi, welcome to week four of Trinity Women's Bible Study. We're looking at Hebrews. And just to get us caught up to where we are now, um, we have seen the writer of Hebrews um, lifting up Jesus, um, saying how much better he is than angels and better than Moses and just better. And so he then kind of stopped and kind of sidetracked himself with a little bit of, this is such a great salvation, but are you loyal to him? And he's worried that the people, this congregation of believers are weak and are immature, or some are being lazy, or some are even in the light of persecution coming, considering going back to their old faith of Judaism. So the writer stops and just says, wait, I've got to talk about this. And we, so we looked at that and now he's getting back on track talking about Jesus. So I just want us to kind of gather ourselves and say, now, where are we in this study? And so we're back looking at Jesus. Um, so sometimes I feel like if you looked at the gospels of Jesus, you would be like having a really tall glass of wonderful orange juice. You would see him in action. You would hear his words. You would see how he dealt with the apostles, with his disciples. You would see how he uh, healed people and just, you kind of felt like you were walking alongside with him. But in Hebrews, it's almost like we have concentrated orange juice and that the writer is taking all these truths about Jesus and just zapping them down into this really concentrated form. So this is a lot of information. And you have to remember for the original readers and listeners of this, it was a huge change. A lot of us haven't really thought or studied much about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament or what Jewish holidays were or what a priest did. We didn't grow up with priests down the street or going to make sacrifices with our parents. But these people, that was so a part of their DNA. And so this was a really big thing for them to let go of to grab something better. So that's part of what we're gonna see over the next three weeks. We're gonna really dive into what they knew as part of the old covenant and what Jesus had taken care of so that they didn't have to do that anymore because Jesus had fulfilled the new covenant and there was such a better thing for them to cling to. So before we read Hebrews 7, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Sometimes. I'm not even sure what we'll glean from this. It seems so different and so um, from a, a long time ago, but yet you put it in your word. So I pray that we would understand it, that we would apply it to our hearts now, that we would learn just like the original audience did. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before we start with Hebrews 7, I want us to remember where Hebrews 6 ended. Um, he was talking about how we have this advocate and that our hope is anchored in heaven because Jesus is the forerunner of our faith. And then he has this random tagline and says, because he's of the order of Melchizedek. And you're like, what? You almost hear a record scratch. Like, what? Who's Melchizedek? So we're going to read about Melchizedek and how Jesus and Melchizedek have something in common. 
For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, pay tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement considering, concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law making nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. As it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, but they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Okay, that's a lot, but we're going to dive in. But first, I think we just need to kind of reorient ourselves to what the listeners knew, because they had this history that a lot of us have not learned. And so I'm going to try in a very quick way to cover the highlights of it. So again, there's so much more of this in the resources 
Um, I encourage you to check out more resources than just this little video. Um, also, if you really want to, I think it's a great idea just to go read Exodus through Deuteronomy because a lot of this is covered there. So, you know, usually Leviticus is the book we always want to skip over. That's when we stop, read through the Bible because we're not sure. This is going to really tie all that together. And the writer is pulling from Exodus through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all those uh, places where we see the law given to God's people. So what do I mean by law? Um, in my mind, um, I have a big L law and little L laws. So the big L law is the Torah. It's that's all the things God told his people through Moses um, to do as his people. Um, that consisted of three little L laws, the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. So the moral law was the Ten Commandments. The civil law were um, the laws having to do with how their society did life, kind of like the government, the rules of living in their community. And then the ceremonial laws were the laws of how they worshiped God, how um, they would be able to live with God in their midst. So if you remember, God promised Abraham and that Abrahamic covenant that we studied in Genesis last semester, he said, I'm going to be your God and, and your, your descendants will be my people. And he's keeping that promise. Now, if that was just the first little first trimester flutter of a baby, the Mosaic law is more like the second trimester. Um, Abraham was one person that God turned into a family of 70. And that 70 we saw at the end of Genesis went to Egypt. Well, now when Moses brings them out, they're a huge people. So God has taken a family and made it into a nation, a people of God. And so the way he deals with them looks differently than how he did with Abraham and um, his growing family. This takes on a, a different experience as being part of God's um, that relationship with God. So I hope that makes sense. So the way we've been looking at this whole idea of covenant is um, the baby is what we're looking forward to. The baby is the real thing. The sonogram or pictures and snapshots of that development of getting closer and closer to this baby being born. That baby we're going to see is Jesus and what he did and his sacrifice and his resurrection and all the things God has for us. But this has played a very important role in giving them some way to live with God because God was holy and they were not. And how is a sinful people supposed to have a tent set up in the middle of camp for a holy God? So God gave them this way to do that, okay? It was never meant to be the baby. It was never meant to be the way. It was a picture of what was coming. Okay, remember when it says, sometimes at Christmas we'll say, um, you know, the fullness of time, Jesus sent his son. The fullness of time had not happened. This is part of time getting full, okay? So let's do a little priest 101. Um, part of the ceremonial law was about the priests. And the, you can imagine what a priest is. He represented God to the people and the people to God. He was like the mediator um, between. He, he, there were rules for this. Um, first of all, only the Levites, only the descendants of Levi, the descendants of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest. Remember, he was Moses' brother. 
and he was the priest. He was the first high priest. So his family, the Levites, would be the ones in charge of like carrying the tabernacle when they had to move. They were the ones in charge of slaughtering the sacrifices and doing the showbread and all the things we learn about the tabernacle. They were like the church people. Um, remember, they didn't have their own little geographical uh, territory in the new promised land. They lived all across the world, all across Israel and all the tribes because everyone needed priests. Okay, so the way that were priests was related to this law um, and it was definitely restricted just to Aaron's tribe and that meant somebody didn't have to be necessarily a great person. They just got it because they were in line, kind of like the kings and queens of Europe, so to speak. Uh, some of those kings and queens had legitimate rule, but maybe they weren't good rulers. Sometimes you see that with a priest. Um, you know, Aaron's own sons were killed by God because they did a, a worship. They burned incense that wasn't the way God said to. So this was serious business. But the reason you were a priest because you were born into that family. Um, also, this was just how they did church. Uh, this is just how they, you know, paid for their sins. Um, that's how they kind of had this sense of, okay, sin is bad, sin costs something, and they would bring animals, and there were different kinds of, all sorts of different kinds of sacrifices and all that, and I'm not getting to that this week. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later um, in the next week or two, but there were, let's just say there were like five different kinds of offerings, some for sin, some for Thanksgiving. There were all these festivals and holidays, and it was there were these rituals. So this was an intense thing, and, and it was part of their life, okay? So, but the, but the writer all of a sudden says something really random. He tells these Hebrews, these Jewish Christians, that Jesus is a high priest, but he's not like Aaron. He's in the order of Melchizedek. And you're like, what? Who's that? And if you remember, I don't even know if we did a, the Bible study on this passage, but it, when you read Genesis last semester, you should have read in Genesis 14. And that's where we're going to just read and see this story of Melchizedek because it really happened. This is a historical figure and Abraham, in Abraham's story, he met Melchizedek in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So if you remember, that's when Lot was kidnapped. Um, Abram's nephew was kidnapped when these kings were warring, warring and Lot lived near Sodom and he got carried off in this war. And so Abram heard and he got his little army and went and rescued him. And so Abram's like the big hero. Well, it's interesting because in that story in Genesis, um, the king of Sodom says, let me, you take some of these spoils, Abram, you know, take some of the stuff because you helped us out. And it's kind of like a way of being in a relationship with Sodom. And Abram, Abram was like, no, thank you. I'm not doing anything. I don't want anybody in this country to say anybody but God made me who I was. But when the king of Salem, that's Melchizedek, offered him bread and wine, he took it. So, he, so you see a difference. King of um, 
Salem. Salem means peace. And so Melchizedek also means king of righteousness. So you're starting to, the writer of Hebrews is starting to pull this Old Testament story to use as this is, he was a priest like Jesus is a priest. And it's different than the um, Aaron line priests, okay? Because you, you think about it, if you're one of these Hebrews and somebody says Jesus is your high priest, they're going, uh, no, because a high priest has to be a Levite. And Jesus was from Judah, a different tribe. And so this is the argument. This almost like biblical algebra of is, if X equals Y and Y equals Z, then X equals Z. It's something like that. So that's the way my brain is kind of putting this all together in my mind as the writer explains to these readers why Jesus is a legit high priest. So like we said, the Melchizedek means king of righteousness, but also king of peace. Um, he played a dual role of priest and king, and this was very unusual. As a matter of fact, the only other time I remember this happening, it was a disaster when Saul tried to offer sacrifices while being king. It was a terrible idea. So usually the offices of priest were totally separate from the office of king. But we see in this case, Melchizedek is both, and that's very important to see later. This is also the first time in Genesis we've seen a priest. And um, also, Melchizedek is very unusual in what we don't know about him because it doesn't say where he came from and it doesn't say where he went. He just kind of appears on the pages of the Old Testament without a genealogy. Well, you might go, so what? Well, think about it. How many genealogies are in the Bible? Even Cain and all the bad people, even the bad kings are in genealogy. Uh, there are genealogies all over the Bible. Melchizedek doesn't have one. So there is this unusual uniqueness about him. So um, he also is definitely greater than Abraham. And we know this because he blesses Abraham and then Abraham gives him tithes. Abraham is giving Melchizedek 10% of all his stuff. So you see that there's a hierarchy here. Um, so the writer is just assuming, almost like my English uh, teacher at Ole Miss, when I first started taking writing, they were like, assume the argument. Go ahead and imagine what your opponent is going to say and write towards that. Cover that in your writing. Go ahead and say what you know, you know they're thinking and how you would respond. Um, and it's like the writer's doing that. He's going, I know what you're thinking. Jesus can't be it because he's not a Levite. And I'm telling you, he's of the order of Melchizedek. He's a king and priest, and he comes out of nowhere, and he's eternal. Now, we're not saying Melchizedek was not a real person. It's just he just on paper just kind of appears and disappears. And so he's always this eternal kind of sense alive as a priest. So, um, and also, Melchizedek is not, he's not the standard for Jesus but Melchizedek reflects the standard of Jesus. Jesus is the real deal. Melchizedek is a shadow of that or a type. Um, he's not a Jesus in human form. He's not one of these theophanies we've talked about before. He is just a copy, uh, a model, uh, almost like if you uh, had something and it cast a shadow. Melchizedek is the shadow and Jesus is the real thing. And in verse 3 it says, Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. So that's the, that's the deal is that Melchizedek is a copy. 
of this true high priest of Jesus that the writer of Hebrews is introducing to his audience. So, thirdly, let's see how that shadow does reflect the real deal. Um, because Jesus basically is the real Melchizedek in a sense. He set the pattern. And um, Aaron, he's better than all the priests that descended from Aaron. So anybody that's going, can Jesus be enough? This writer is saying, boy, is he and then some. So what kind of priest is Jesus? Well, first of all, he is greater than Moses and um, greater than any of the priests of Aaron. Um, He has authority by an oath from God himself. The authority to the Levite priests, they just were born to the right tribe. This one, God himself has an oath that Jesus is the high priest. I mean, can you imagine how secure that makes you thinking that God himself swore an oath that Jesus is this kind of priest. Um, He also is a king and a priest together. Um, Jesus holds these dual roles because he is the king of righteousness and he gave himself up as a sacrifice to make peace. Um, This reminds me of one of my favorite verses, Psalm 8510, steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace kiss together. And that to me is just a beautiful way of talking about the cross of when Jesus died, he was righteous. The God's God himself was righteous. Something had to happen to to make sin not an issue. And Jesus himself said, "I will die to make that happen." So the mercy of God kissed the righteousness of God. Um, there's also this uniqueness, just like Melchizedek um, just kind of popped up on the scene and almost has this no genealogy, no beginning or end type aura about him. Uh, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. He was there at creation. He is there forevermore. He is alive now. So we have this. So basically the writer quotes Psalm 110 verse 4. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That was written in the Old Testament. Okay. So there's this hint that the Messiah is going to be different than the Aaron priests. So how does Jesus' priesthood impact you. So many of you may go, well, this is just fascinating history. But honestly, what does Melchizedek have to do with me going to work in the morning or me cleaning my kitchen or me trying to figure out my finances or me trying to do carpool on time? What does a girl need Melchizedek for today? Well, let's look at how Jesus saves. If you notice verses 23 through 28, It's because he saves to the uttermost. The kind of priest Jesus is, because he is a king and a priest, because he does mean to bring righteousness and peace, because he is eternal, because God himself swore you are the priest, we are saved to the bottom of our toes. There is no sin you have done or you will do that can beat this kind of priest. The high priest Jesus as high priest is the strong man. He is the one that beats it all. He beats it all. So there's a permanence to it. He is 
permanently this high priest and there's no there's no debt left because when he paid it he paid it fully um, when my husband went to law school we had all these student loans I cannot tell you how fun it was for the last student loan to be paid off I didn't think they were gonna come knocking at my door and a month later because there was no other debt um, the money had been spent and fulfilled our our debt of law debt <laughs> so Jesus there's nothing left for someone to knock on your door of guilt with guilt because yes as bad as your sin is it has been canceled um, there's also this limitless power as Jesus with Jesus as our high priest he is able to save to the uttermost there is no sin too strong for him think about it he beat death he beat Satan, he beat, he beat the world. He is the champion. And also he is still, still presently part of your salvation. This isn't just something that happened in the past and you said, I take that blood and I walk the aisle or I'll sign my name or I'll believe and then it, you just kind of hold your breath till heaven. Jesus right now still is interceding as high priest for you. He sits in the throne room of God and has your name on his heart and on his lips. Also, this kind of priest is sinless. So imagine, imagine being friends with the Levite priest. Imagine your Levite priest next door that you may have heard said a cuss word when that rock slammed on his toe in his sandal, open toe sandal. Or maybe you saw the way he kind of looked at that girl next door and you went, that's my priest. I got my sins got to be covered by what he's going to do. That was never going to work very well, was it? Also, would a ram really cover all the stuff I've done with this little animal, this sheep that had no idea what was going on? Is this really a sacrifice for the stuff I've done? Of course not. It was never meant to be. And what the writer's saying is, look, you have the perfect high priest. Um, I remember, like, like for instance, um, if you went to college and um, your friend all of a sudden, like years later, is a surgeon and you're going to have surgery with him, you're like, wait a minute, I remember studying with you. We used to play jokes on the second floor of the English department. I mean, you're kind of like, really? You're the, you're the doctor here? Because you know them so well, you've seen them not at their best. Jesus has no moments like that. Jesus, it is like trusting the most trusted person with your sin, you know it's taken care of because that sacrifice was completely perfect. So he has this perfect offering. He, is, he has defeated the triple threat of sin, death, and the devil. And it was his own perfect life of obedience that was shed. So not only did he pay for our sins, but this perfect life of living the law like you should is given to us. There's nothing to need. There, our account is so full. We're not only not in debt, but we're rich. So the conclusion is, is he is the perfect fit for us because don't we need that kind of salvation? Don't we need a salvation that's beyond the niceties, that's beyond the stuff people just see? But it goes down deep to the heart of where you know your darkest sin, the attitude you have toward the person that you should be sweet to, the, the dark past you have, the, the sins that you just are trying to forget. God says that's completely done. He is strong enough to beat back the guilt of an abortion, 
the guilt of taking your friend for an abortion. He is so much stronger than the gossip you did that you still think about and cringe. He is so, so much bigger than the mistakes you've made and the conscious evils you've done and the shame you bear. And that he says, I wipe it away. This is a completely done deal. Jesus has sealed the deal for us and God himself took your sin. Not a messenger, not a little mere angel. God himself said, I die for you and your life and your mind. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that kind of forgiveness. We ask that we would live like we're forgiven like that. Thank you for being our high priest. In Jesus' name, amen.